1: Thank you Rural Scoop listeners for joining me. I'm excited to be able to talk with Kathy Hoffman, the Superintendent of Public Instruction here in Arizona. I'm really looking forward to hearing what's been happening in the Arizona Department of Education during her first year in office and taking a look at what's ahead for 2020. Kathy, are you ready to give us the scoop? I'm happy to. I really appreciate you being here. Um, Before we get started, Can you give us uh, a little bit of information about you and where you come from? What's your background in education? Absolutely. Uh, So I I moved to Arizona
0: about 10 years ago, and I, I started in Tucson as a preschool teacher. And that was such a pivotal moment in my life for me. And, uh, joining the education field, and I absolutely loved teaching. I loved working with children, and it was there in the preschool that I discovered the field of speech-language pathology, and I realized that that was actually perfect, the perfect career direction for me. And so I, I returned, I went to the University of Arizona to pursue my master's degree in speech language pathology. But I always knew that I wanted to work in the schools as a speech therapist at that, at that point. Um, so while I was at U of A, I also did research in the area of the speech and language development of bilingual children. Um, so then when I started when I returned to the schools, I started working in the Vale School District down in Tucson area, and I worked there for a few years. Then I moved up to Phoenix, and I worked in the Peoria School District for a couple years, where I continued to work with students of all backgrounds, working with students with disabilities. Working, I was working at a Title I school, so I had also had students in the foster care system and many students who spoke a different language at home, and so I had a great experience working with with both children and teachers and and parents from all backgrounds, and then I decided to run for office, and my life has forever changed <laughs> since then. Um, so after a, a, a two-year campaign, I was very grateful to be elected to this position and have been working in the Department of Education since January.
1: So really, you've had an opportunity in your teaching background to see a lot of the different demographics that we have represented here in Arizona. Absolutely. So many Arizonans may not be aware of what the superintendent of public instruction does once you're elected to office. Can you describe your roles and responsibilities as it relates to that?
0: Yeah, so this year has been quite a learning experience for me to really figure out what the role of superintendent is for state superintendent and when i first started in january i kept thinking about that before i took office many people had said to me why do you even want that <laughs> job you know it's just an administrative job and so when i got into office i thought okay well i guess here we are just an administrative job but really that's not the case and to me one of the most important parts of the job is being the chief advocate for public education in Arizona. And to do that, I I felt what was most important was to stay connected with our school so I continued to travel the state I visited schools in all 15 counties in the first year it was I went to over 80 schools I met with teachers and students and school wow. leaders principals superintendents and community members um, to really stay connected with the the needs of our schools and also to see in each school setting to to find out what was unique about each school community and what they were proud of. Because one thing I realized is far too often people don't have that opportunity to share what they're proud of within their schools. And we know that people are working so hard to do what's best for kids in Arizona and our students are working so hard. Mm -hmm. And I just love to have that opportunity to highlight their achievements and celebrate their achievements because I think being in the education field is such a rewarding and positive career, and I want to make sure that people are aware of why we need to keep investing in our schools and support this public education system.
1: So, Kathy, you mentioned that really as a chief advocate, you've redefined what the superintendent of public instruction can do. How has that evolved since January 2019 to January 2020?
0: So in addition to the school visits, um, I would say the other big piece of it is on the policy side. So, so advocating to the public is one piece, but also advocating to our state legislators, the governor, and to other state agencies, um, and, and really educating them and being a clear voice and having a clear vision of what our schools need and to be able to give specific examples using those Uh, Those experiences and stories straight from the classroom to exemplify Mm. what our schools need. So I have met regularly with our other elected state leaders. I have even invited them to go on school visits with me, which has been really successful. Mm. And we just started doing that in the last few months. And I've had both Republican and Democratic legislators join me. And it's such an opportunity to point out things that they wouldn't otherwise notice they so for example walking into a special education classroom mm-hmm. i noticed right away wow there's actually a there's a couple teachers in here or, or professionals supporting these students and so you have um you have a a higher ratio of teacher to student ratio. And and I point out that that costs more to have, you know, these students need more attention. They ha- they have these services and their IEP of what they need. And so they that's part of why they, that special education services uh, cost more. And then I point out the different behavioral supports, maybe visual schedules, mm-hmm. specialized seating. I point out, look at those chairs. Those chairs do not cost the same as our regular Uh, chairs that you might see in other classrooms because these students do have special needs. And that's, this is, these are the types of tools that help them to be successful.
1: That anecdotal information really does make a difference when you can see it in action. And that can drive policy decisions in a different way. Yeah, that's my hope. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, You also are a member of both the State Board of Education as well as the Charter Board. Can you talk a little bit about your roles on those two entities?
0: Absolutely. And I'm also a member on the Board of Regents. That's right. A board. Yes. That's so right. So I have um, and each board is so different, so unique. But I, I think it's really important to be an active participant on all three of those boards. And um, I so again I see my role as advocating for our our schools, for our students, for our teachers, and to, and I I also try to make sure when I'm out on my school visits, that then I can also bring back information from those boards to the public, to our, um, to our other stakeholders. So, for example, on the State Board of Education, we've been having a lot of conversations about the future of our state testing. So, you know, the AZ merit, now known as the AZM two, mm-hmm. um, and so I try to, I try to make sure that information is flowing both directions. That I'm taking in the. The needs of our schools to the board, and then when I'm at the board, learning and developing policy there, that then I can share that information back to our to
1: our school communities. Um, education leaders know that your perspective is often uh, very tied to your context, where you live and breathe every day. And how has being in office as a superintendent of public instruction seen your evolving um, view on how to create solutions that really might work in the trenches, whether it's in rural districts or urban districts. How has that context that you've evolved into changed how you view facing those challenges?
0: I, I guess what is most clear to me is just how how unique each community situation can be and but then also looking for those trends. And so for example, um, one thing I've been diving into more what is um, teacher benefits and how how that can vary from district to di- district. So I'm um, so specifically looking at health care mm-hmm. benefits. and whereas some districts provide full coverage for health care, and that's considered to be kind of almost like a bonus to them right. um, whereas other districts don't offer hardly anything where um, some teachers are having to pay anywhere from forty dollars a month up to hundreds of dollars per month if they want to pay into the, the healthcare um, services and benefits that the district offers. So that's something we, we've started to do research on. But my um, but my point is just that we, from this position, we can we can look to see what unique challenges might be, but also where the trends are and. Um, and so I think it's important to to have a lens towards both.
1: Right, and, I, and I'll be asking you about some of those challenges that we know are priorities moving into the next year that have mm-hmm. continued to be priorities that you've been working on um, to include teacher recruitment and retention and equity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of rural areas here in Arizona, there tends to be um, declining enrollment, and economic opportunities are not as robust in those areas of the state typically. That's a broad strokes uh, look at that, but typically that's that's the case. Um, how do you feel the needs of Arizona's rural children differ from those that are in metro areas?
0: We definitely do see greater challenges typically, and and I, I think it's really important within rural com- communities to have strong collaboration between the schools and the businesses and the the, le- the community leaders in those areas, and then um, and I'm trying to do everything I can to support partnerships between our K twelve sector and the community college sector as well as our university sector, and I, I think that there's still some work to be done there, and um, but some communities have been doing an outstanding job of already having a strong relationship with, with higher education. Um, So I've seen, so for example, I was recently in Marinci, and they have, and I know other schools in this, in that area too, have really strong relationships with the Eastern Arizona College Mm -hmm. for dual enrollment. And, um, and then within their high schools, they offer many types of CTE the career and technical education coursework um, so I think that those types of investments will really pay off for rural communities to make sure that there's multiple pathways to economic opportunities and, and different types of career exploration opportunities for those students and and I so back to my role on a board the Board of Regents I I bring those same messages there of it's so important to be investing in rural communities and and having those satellite campuses and online opportunities and anything we can do to support that and that connectivity is just critical.
1: As most people are aware, teacher recruitment and retention continues to be an area where we're struggling as a state, both in, in rural and urban school districts. What kinds of things are you doing to address those needs across the state?
0: Yeah, I'm really excited about the work we're doing in this area because I do see it as a statewide priority. That this is one of the greatest issues, biggest issues facing our state right now in education. Because if we know if we don't have highly trained, highly effective teachers in our classrooms, then Mm you know, what results can we expect? So um, first and foremost, I recently created a, a team of it's our educator recruitment and retention team that t- to formalize this work within the department. And that team is responsible for finding innovative and creative ways to support our districts in their efforts to recruit and retain teachers and educators. Uh, so for example, they have already been studying different Grow your own models that have already had success across the state. So, for example, um, the Vale School District is currently the only district that has gone through the process to. Um, they have a. They have formalized where they can certify teachers. So they are hmm. house. They are recruiting educators and then certifying them because they went through the process to get approved. Through the State Board of Education to certify teachers on their own, which so then we're like, oh well, which other districts mm-hmm. have the capacity to certify teachers? And so we already started working with a couple districts that are interested in pursuing that pathway. Then in um, some of our other more rural, smaller communities, I've been talking um, with some school leaders over in in Miami, Arizona, um, as well as well, Sunnyside's not rural, but they're also doing a lot around how can we um, support our paraprofessionals or teacher aides who want to pursue higher degrees so whether it's their associate degrees or their um, bachelor's degree, how can we get them on this pathway to becoming a certified teacher? And so I've seen some seen some great creative ways around these grow your own models where we know that in our rural communities that's that's where you're going to have the most success finding, Educators who will stay for right. for more than a couple years, and when I'm um, visiting schools, I I often ask our high schoolers or even middle schoolers, I ask who wants to be a teacher, and and a lot of students are not even thinking about it. And that and I think it's really sad to see that not many students are excited about that. And it it's kind of it's also made me realize that um, as teachers, we need to. the champions of our profession if we want to make sure that there is a next generation of teachers and so I I point that out that when I'm visiting schools of your students are these are the, the future people that you will be trying to recruit in a couple years and so what are you doing to champion the profession and giving students the opportunity to see the value in being a teacher and being in the school community and and showing them that this is a positive career path and and so one example i've also been sharing is so there's some research that shows that if you just say that um if you say teachers don't make very much money you shouldn't teach because it's because teachers don't make any money well then no one's gonna want to teach right okay. i t- but this research showed that if you say that the salary for this position is, and then you're just very specific and say what the actual salary is. Like this teaching position pays forty thousand or fifty thousand a year. Then even if that's lower than we want it to be, of, of course, but um, but pe- people are actually more likely to consider it and apply because. You know, having a good salary is better than a minimum wage job or not having a job. So right. I think that we just need to be thoughtful about the language we use and then let prospective employees decide if the school pay is adequate for their personal and family needs.
1: Exactly. And and Kathy, one of the things that you're probably aware of since you are on the Board of Regents, is that the universities are putting forward a program where people that are potential candidates for teaching certificates don't have to pay tuition. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm very supportive. That's, that's the Teachers Academy, that all three state universities and even some of our community colleges are offering uh, this program where if you are pursuing a teaching degree, then you do not have to pay any tuition. For And you, you do have to commit to a certain number of years of teaching in Arizona to be, participate. But... This is a great opportunity, and I know they still have openings and are still recruiting to try to get more participants for the Teachers Academy. Um, and this can even be this, so we're trying to expand this to where um, when I met with some administrators from the the Scottsdale Community College, they are also utilizing these funds. And this is actually for a one-year post back program. So so you don't have to be a traditional four-year undergraduate student that is, you know, an 18 to 22-year-old to participate in this program. You could be someone who is in their 30s or 40s and wants to make a career change and then go through a one year post back program through a community college and and not have to pay tuition because of the teachers academy funding. And so we're trying to f- we're actually trying to see if we can expand that to more community college partners.
1: That's fantastic. Especially for uh, potential teachers in rural communities that may not yes. have access financially. I think that's a wonderful program. Yes, we're very excited about that. Now, recently, you added a new position to ADE, and and you're really redefining what the Department of Ed can and should be doing. And that's an Associate Superintendent of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Um, And this is an amazing uh, new position. Can you talk a little bit about Erica Maxwell and what she does in this role?
0: Absolutely. We're very excited to have Erica on board. Um, So, one of her big roles is, the way I see her role is both looking internally in the department at the work we're doing and how are we within the agency, you know, it's an agency of, of roughly um, 800 people who work in the Department of Education. So how are we internally making sure that we have a, an equity lens in our work and that we are also, when we're in our hiring practices, making sure that we have diversity in our team. So part of her role is working internally. Um, but then her more external roles and the work she's been doing, um, she was she was critical in the success of our school safety and social wellness team that recently helped to determine how to best allocate the, the new school safety grant funding. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was very involved in that and and one of our priorities when we were um, developing the rubric, and you know that was a very competitive um, grant, mm-hmm. and and so we wanted to make sure that it was as fair and equitable in terms of the, um, the 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 choices that we had to make, and developing that again back to the rubric to make sure that the resources were equit- equitably spread across our state, and so um, as a result, we made sure. That that funding was going to schools of all types, and I think we did that with success. I'm great that I was grateful that she was a part of of that. And then we also have um, restructured a bit so that the our office of Indian Education was also moved under her office. And we know that many of our um, many if not most of our tribal nations are located in rural Arizona, mm-hmm. and so um, she's been working closely with um, with the lead of our our office of indian education as well.
1: So can you speak a little bit more Kathy about mm-hmm. what equity in rural areas looks like in terms of how ADE is approaching it? Mm-hmm. So I think the
0: best way to look at it is that we know in our rural communities that there are unique challenges and we need to we need to face those challenges by providing the appropriate and adequate resources needed for those challenges. So that might not look the same as for our schools that are in Phoenix or in Tucson or even like Flagstaff and Yuma. Um, so we, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about like our where we have our bigger our bigger hubs versus our more remote and rural communities. And mm-hmm. but for, and no matter where they are. Um, we just need to be. We need to make sure that schools are getting adequate resources. And so, I think it's it's been devastating for me when I've traveled the state and I've seen some. Um, whereas in some areas, I see you know brand new school facilities, and a lot of that is paid for by bonds and overrides. That we see like new facilities, new schools, bright and shiny, best mm-hmm. best of the best technology, and then to go to um, so I was recently in La Paz County, that is much more rural, and um, and there and they and they told me this is not just me. <laughs> I, I, I told them like I hate to say anything bad about your how your schools look, but they were like, no, we need new facilities. These buildings are mm-hmm. old. These are portable buildings. They're over twenty years old. And that was at Quartzsite, and and I said, this is this is just. I, want, I will use the word immoral. This is unethical, immoral, to have rundown schools because every child deserves a high-quality learning environment. So those are yeah. the types of equity issues that I see firsthand. And so what can we do to make sure that our small schools and our rural schools have the resources that they need?
1: And is Erica taking... A point on that as well, taking the lead on that as well? Well, she's she's definitely
0: working with us on that. She's, is, you know, that that cannot be one person to be. That also goes straight to, you know, my associate for our policy and government relations is also ve- very in tune with this so that she and the policy team can be advocating for those needs. And that's, that's Callie Kozak. Yeah, yep. that's Callie Kozak, yes. And so it's, it's not just one person's role. It's all of our jobs. To be advocating, uh, but Erica does um, have a role in that as well, and and I think so. We're actually we're in the very early stages of we're going to be doing a revision of our ESSA state plan. And part of that will, that, and one of the things that Erica is going to be helping us with is identifying equity indicators that will be measurable uh, for us to have as a state to have the goals in, um, in regards to these equity indicators, but we're still in the early stages of those conversations. So we'll just have to, we'll keep you guys posted about that.
1: Um, As you're probably aware, the Why Rural Matters report by the Rural School and Community Trust was released in November of 2019, and Arizona specifically has been given a priority ranking of 11 out of 50 states, so number 11, and that's actually dropped a little bit. Last year's report for 2018, we were in the top 10. Um, But the Arizona data has shown that there are some specific priorities for rural education, if we can talk about how the department is addressing each of those priorities, um, starting with the fact that 23% of our rural students live in poverty, and that the poverty level in rural school communities is over the 200% threshold, actually at 212%, um, we are considered the the uh, 49th poorest state in the nation. New Mexico is 50th. Can you talk a little bit about how ADE is um, focusing on poverty as an issue, especially in our rural communities.
0: Yeah, I think this. Th- these statistics are just devastating and hor- horrifying for us as a state that this absolutely needs to be on, on the forefront of our minds in any decision-making processes to, to, to keep this in mind that we do have such extreme poverty across the state. Um, so I would I would say well, one thing we've been working on first is we've actually been looking at what our what our department's definition of poverty is because mm-hmm. depending on which department or un- unit you're talking to in the department. So, for example, we have our our, nu- our um, nutrition team who for the food services and um, nutrition services that are provided to schools. Mm-hmm. They have a definition of poverty. Then we have uh, our our title departments, and they might have a different definition of poverty. And so, mm-hmm. one thing we've been looking at is, is just, well, what are our different definitions, and when are we using them, and having clear rules around those de- those definitions of poverty. And I think that will be vital, even when we're looking at different legislation and making recommendations over at the state capitol because we want to make sure that we're using the appropriate definition of poverty when determining how resources are allocated. Mm. So that's one way. Um, also when I, I think that these issues of poverty are, can also be very much connected with issues of social, emotional wellness. Yes. And yes. And so I, I'm again very proud of the recent, um, the the funding that was just allocated for through the school safety grant to make sure that we are able to provide school counselors and social workers to schools across the state and I I would say this should not have been even a competitive grant that this that every school that needs a counselor should have a counselor and I have not been to a school in the state yet that does not want a counselor. And so I would say we need to continue to do work to make sure we're recruiting counselors and, and social workers and have them in the pipeline mm-hmm. to apply for these positions because that can also be an issue, especially in rural communities, is they they might have that opening, but do we have people who are applying for those positions is a whole nother issue. Right um we're concerned about. Um, so I think that making sure that we have those mental health supports in the schools not just i'm not just saying that it's the family's responsibility to find those mental health services outside of the schools i think that can be a significant barrier and challenge for families especially in rural communities and so i i strongly believe we need to have those those supports and services in the schools mm.
1: Definitely. Now, another area that was ranked a priority by the report was that other than dual credit enrollment, all other areas of college and career readiness rank far below the national median. Is ADE uh, concerned and, and looking to assist with um, bolstering the college and career ready readiness um, opportunities for students? Not just in rural, but probably this mm-hmm. is more a statewide issue. Yes, absolutely.
0: We, we have our our CTE team who works very actively. And um, and I was kind of surprised to see that ranking actually, because we do have such, I've, I've seen phenomenal CTE career and technical education opportunities in our schools across the state. So I am um, kind of curious where, I, I'm sure our, our CTE team is on this, but they've been involved in making sure that we have those opportunities of different certification programs across mm-hmm. the state. Um, so I, I know that that's that's probably the area where most of that work is happening is within our CTE department.
1: Now graduation rates in rural districts is eighty one percent, and the national average is eighty eight percent. So graduation seems to be graduation rates mm-hmm. seems to be an area where our rural students are struggling. Um, how is ADE looking at this?
0: I think that also goes back to what we were just talking about, the college and career readiness. I think it's also correlated with graduation rates, because if we want students to be engaged in school and see the reason to stay in school and see those opportunities mm-hmm. and the benefits of why to complete high school so that then they can um, can proceed to go on to other career opportunities beyond their high school. So I think... I think the work we're doing in CTE will also benefit the graduation rates, uh, but then also this, I wonder too how much this might tie into our students who are identified as English language learners, because I know mm-hmm. in some communities we might have, especially in the border communities of Arizona, we have higher populations of students who are learning English as a second language, mm-hmm. and I i know we've been doing a lot of work around, We um, so we just adopted new standards for EL students, and we're working on new instructional models to be, that are being rolled out to make sure that we have best practice research-based instruction for our students who are still working on mastering
1: English. Mm -hmm. And And that leads me to my last statistic, which is Arizona is the nation's second most diverse student population. And that does speak to EL students, but it also speaks to those students of de- different demographics. Can you talk a little bit about what ADE is doing to support diversity besides what we've talked about with Erica?
0: Yeah, and this this one did not surprise me because I have seen firsthand how diverse Arizona is across the state. And, uh, of course, our larger groups are, of course, our students who are in the Latino community as well as we have then We have our we have 21 federally recognized tribes in Arizona. And so, yes, we are a very diverse state. And, and so one way that we've been addressing this is I've established several advisory councils. So I have a Latinx advisory council, African-American advisory council, Native American, and, and then another one that is dedicated to equitable and inclusive practices Mm -hmm. and so through these advisory councils it it gives an opportunity for both um, students and educators and community members to participate in these um, advisory councils and meet with me so that making sure that I am hearing directly from people from those communities and because I am very cautious to make to, I don't want to make any assumptions I want to hear it straight from um, people and of course I know that that there are, are many other stakeholder groups to also stay connected with in making decisions but it, it's very helpful to have the advisory councils meet, meeting regularly with me so that I can um, so that we can talk about various ideas and and concerns and make sure that we're doing everything we can as an agency to meet their needs.
1: To date, Kathy, what are the successes that you've had during your first year in office? There are many. I'm very proud of everything we accomplished in the first year
0: and just so grateful for the team I've had in the department that has been such a great support to help me achieve many of these successes. Uh, One area that I'm really proud of that. We, um, that I, I don't think I could have predicted. This is an area where, before taking office, I I didn't really think too much about how I could partner with other state agencies. Mm-hmm. But one of those successes has been with the Department of Economic Security. And when we fr- when I first met with their leadership team, it was it was a matter of how can we work together? Because at that point, there had been no prior collaboration between um, DES and ADE. And and so in that first meeting, we talked about how DES has job training and job placement work that happens across the state. They have these offices all across the state to help people. They said specific, most often the people they're working with have either their high school degree or GED Mm -hmm. and they're looking for a career. And so I asked DES, are you targeting our school districts? Because we have tons of critical vacancies like bus drivers and cafeteria workers and substitute teachers and areas that don't require as, as many degrees to or as many credentials to be working in our schools. And As of then, they had not been. And so we agreed that would be a phenomenal opportunity to work together to start targeting for DES to start targeting these openings. Um, So we did a little pilot project with with the Mesa Public Schools because it is the biggest district in the state. And in just two months, they were able to help fill over 30 positions in Mesa. Mm -hmm. And so now we are expanding that program and we're still deciding which districts will be targeted next. But um, I'm really excited about that opportunity. I think that was a huge success to to just see what could, because again, going back to the top, one of the top priorities being educator recruitment and retention. So to have that type of partnership, targeting those critical positions is, is just going to make a world of difference. Absolutely. So we're really excited about that. And then um, we let's see, I'm trying to think of things I haven't already mentioned. Um, One, another piece I'm proud of because I did mention some of my advisory councils, but I forgot to mention my student advisory council. And I'm just so impressed by them. And when I, so I created this advice, this is the first time ever the Department of Education has had a student advisory council. And this group is made up of 20 students from fifth through 12th grade. And the we had a, a competitive application process for the students, and um, it's a very diverse group of students from across the state, from all backgrounds, and we had our first meeting a couple of months ago now, and they were just so impressive and so thoughtful and brought up a lot of interesting topics, and they seen, it was very clear that they were advocates for their schools, and they, they brought up things like transportation and school funding and the need for mental health supports in their schools. And I just was so impressed by them. So I was I was really proud to create that council and, and look forward to hearing more from our students. Um, and then of course we had We had many legislative wins in the last session, and I'm hopeful for another productive session coming up here in 2020. Um, So I was really proud that we were able to reduce the four-hour English-only block, so that schools have more flexibility to serve our multilingual students. And I'm hopeful that in the next session, that we'll be able to fully repeal the English-only law, so that we can again do a greater. Um, a better job of serving our students who are bilingual
1: or multilingual. Mm-hmm. Looking ahead into 2020, um, what do you see happening with education here in Arizona? I, I see a lot happening. I,
0: I love to see that education continues to be a, a priority for people. That it, I, When I when i'm traveling around and i'm talking to people it, it still seems to be education seems to be still high on people's mind and people seem concerned about the quality of education in our public schools so i'm i'm grateful for that interest and also i i sense greater hope and optimism from our school communities that mm-hmm. people feel that things are getting better that there's and part of it is just having the attention on our education field, so I'm I'm hopeful that broadly speaking, I'm you know I'm hearing the the rumblings that everyone else is hearing about some potential uh, school funding. I don't know if it'll be various bills or if it's going to be more of like a citizens initiative, um, but I'm hearing the rumblings and getting some updates about that. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we can get more school funding um, for because we are in a strong economy here in Arizona. So mm-hmm. let's let's invest that money and let's invest it in our schools because that, our schools are the future of our state. Um, so that's one area I'll be watching. Then um, as far as, let's see, I mentioned the English only law repeal and so that's definitely going to be a high priority. Oh, another area I'm really excited about is in terms of special education funding mm-hmm. because we know that as I mentioned that that can be, a a huge cost for schools. And our data that we have in the department has shown that for special education funding, that that statewide there is roughly a $100 million gap in terms of schools across the state are getting $100 million less than what they are spending on special education services. So what we have heard is that we expect that there will be a, a proposal for about $50 million specifically for special education. So I'm hopeful that that could be $50 million this year. And then Mm -hmm. I want to keep closing that gap to hopefully get another $50 million to fully close that $100 million gap. Even the fact that we're having that proposal with bipartisan support for this year, it would be a huge win for our schools because we know that they're pulling from other parts of their budget i'm sure you've experienced yes, this absolutely that, to cover those special education services and to and it can be so challenging to recruit special education teachers mm-hmm. speech language pathologists and other critical specialists that our students with disabilities need
1: do you have any goals for the arizona department of education that you can share with us
0: i i would say it hasn't changed much since the beginning which is good thing because we're really trying to just stay on um, stay on message and and keep stay we want to stay focused and not um, not be changing direction too much but because I think these are really important goals that one within the agency we've been doing a lot of work to enhance cross-agency collaboration and that's been really successful where we have teams working together in ways that they Might not have been before, and seen a lot of success around that. So, one example of that would be we have an internal committee that's focused on social emotional the social emotional well-being of students and and so they're tying their work together so no matter whether they're someone who works in special education or someone who works on the school safety team or um or wherever they work in the department we even like our we have our title four folks also joining in on that we have people from all across the agency coming together to talk about um, and and have they have clear objectives of how to work together so that cross-agency collaboration has been really successful and will continue. That's one I would say that's our biggest internal goal is to keep working on that. Mm-hmm. And then on a more external focus, it will continue to be how can the agency best serve our schools and to continue to be striving to be an agency of service and to make sure that we're listening and that we're creating opportunities for feedback and that we have committees and councils and task forces where we bring people together so that it's not just what the department says is what's needed or it shouldn't it shouldn't all be just on us to make those decisions it should be us coming together as a community and bringing in experts from the field and having those conversations as a community to best serve our our schools and to help develop policies for the entire state and so I think that we had great success with that in the past year and we're aiming to continue to continue
1: to make that a top priority. Kathy, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to share with our listeners or make sure that they know? One other program I I thought of while I
0: was chatting that I wanted to make sure to mention was the Get Set for STEM program because that, so going back specifically to um, our educator recruitment and retention, um, the Get Set for STEM is a scholarship program and the, the SET is an acronym for Scholarships for Effective teachers or teaching um, for STEM. And so what this this scholarship program that our department administers is for any certified teacher, whether you're a kindergarten teacher or a physics teacher or a math teacher or you're a special ed teacher, no matter what you're teaching, that you can qualify for up to $2,000 per year to take a higher education course. So if you want to, and it has to be in a STEM field, but if you're thinking about making a switch to, or or you just want to have better skills at teaching math or science or CTE, then you can qualify for these funds. And so we just want to make sure that teachers are taking advantage of this great opportunity so that they can They can take the courses through any of our state community colleges or universities, and they could use this money to even pursue a master's degree. Um, So we just want to make sure that teachers are aware of the Get Set for STEM program, too.
1: Well, Kathy, thank you so much for talking with me. I really enjoyed learning more about what you and ADE are doing, not just in rural education, but here for public education around the state. Thank you so much. Thank you, Melissa. I love talking about this with you, too.